I can think of only one thing that could lift my spirits right now. Beer. 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 This is Drink of Ages on ESPN 97.5. The only show dedicated to craft beer, spirits, and music. Here's your host and luminary, luminary. John Denman. John Denman. All right, this is take two of Drink of Ages radio show here on ESPN 97.5. I'm your host, John Denman. Tom Painter is actually off this week because he's running the New York Marathon. And uh, looking forward to that because we're all going to go up there, hang out. And next week's show will actually be at Other Half. And if any of you know what Other Half Brewery is in New York, it's a pretty fantastic spot. So super excited about that. Uh, this week we are you know, not quite that far north, but we are in Cyprus at Creekwood Grill. <laughs> Badass place, uh, really good food, great beer selection, and a lot of other things going on here. Good concerts and all that fun stuff at, at Creekwood. But... What's really exciting is our guest this week, Andalusia Whiskey Company out of Blanco, 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 Texas. Yes. Uh, we have Ty Phelps and Mario Sebastian Berry hanging out. What's going on, Phyllis? Uh, great to be here, man. Thanks for having us. Uh, as, as this show is going to go on, because there's one, two, three, four, five, six bottles of stuff for us to sample during the show, uh, I'm going to say a lot of things wrong. So just just be prepared, and I don't mind if you correct me. That's why we're here. Yes, uh, it doesn't doesn't hurt my feelings at all because, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna start. Yeah, it's probably hard to say Ty wrong, but there's a there's a chance that it happens. <laughs> don't be offended. So Andalusia Whiskey Company. Yep. When did you guys get started? We got started in 2015, uh, formulating the company, and started distilling in 2016. The name comes from our land deed. Um, the distillery is on my family farm, um, just north of Blanco, right on Highway 281. It's a, a functioning farm. We raise sheep and chickens and cattle. We've got a llama, and um, we've been doing that for about 10 years. Um, and my background is craft beer. Um, so when it was time to kind of get the distillery growing, we were looking at the land deed of our ranch. And our former name of the ranch is the Andalusia Ranches. And so when we started the distillery, we wanted to honor um, the former name of our ranch. And uh, that's, that's how Andalusia was born. It's animals, uh, liquor, <laughs> with a beer background. So what's the beer background? Uh, so that's most of my adult life. Uh, you know, I did the office space thing and worked for Dell uh, for about a year out of college and had a similar outcome as the movie uh, portrayed and uh, jumped into culinary school just kind of looking for uh, kind of a uh, you know a change of pace you know I figured worst case this was going to be an an excellent life experience that I get to talk about forever um, I'll be able to cook um, you know that was sort of uh, my attitude going into it um, uh, upon completion, I went to intern at a uh, little brew pub in downtown Austin called The Bitter End. And um, I showed up um, looking to get a job in the kitchen. And by the time I left, I had a job in the brewery. And uh, it, was, it was just an amazing experience. You know, I'd done some home brewing with some friends. And, 
And when I found out there was a brewery there, you know, this light went off over my head. I don't know if anyone could see it, but it was shining very brightly because it really married everything I loved about the culinary world. Um, but also um, with, with kind of math and science, which is kind of where my, my nerdy background comes from. And so it was cool to see the creative side of the culinary world and the more structured scientific side uh, of the brewing world kind of come together. And, you know, I knew I didn't want to be a, 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 a cook on a line somewhere. And even though culinary school was, was preparing me for something like that, potentially, um, you know, it was, it was cool to see a future um, that was able to utilize a lot of those skills and training, but um, get into something that was a lot cooler and a lot more uh, up my uh, uh, line of interests. I mean, culinary school seems like a great idea always, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sounds fun. Anytime yeah. you're having a life crisis, just, just sign up. Sign up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I, mean I, I went started that path for a very short time when I was like, okay, I changed my mind on what I feel like doing in, in, in college. So I was like, oh, let's go to culinary school. And went and talked to them and everything. I was like, man, this, this should be great. So I started talking to people actually in the industry and in the business. And they're like, oh, yeah, be ready to work like 80 hours a week. Some long days, some early mornings, some late nights. Yep. Yes. And, and uh, a lot of complaining and a lot of just, it's like, okay, okay, maybe I don't want to go down yep. that path. That's a fact. You know, especially if you're looking to be a chef. You know, everyone's got to work their way off. So that's going to be line cook. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, grill chef, maybe sous chef, and you'll work your way up. And I knew that would probably wasn't my path. I figured maybe I would be, um, uh, you know, I hope to be a food author or uh, maybe a food critic or something like that. Um, that's kind of what I thought of getting into it. Um, and um, knowing that there, you know, would, would hopefully be an auxiliary sort of path. And that's kind of exactly what happened. Um, you know, showing up at the Bitter End, and, and I had a good friend working there, and she said, hey, you know, we make beer here. You, you knew that, right? And I, I did not. <laughs> and, uh, but quickly kind of uh, put two and two together and realized that, that uh, you know, that sounds like a lot of fun and something very interesting. Um, not only that, but there's a, you know, I, I you know, saw that this was coming. Um, you know, craft beer was a, a force to reckon with. This was, um, I'm talking about 2001, um, was um, when I started working at the Bitter End. And craft beer in Texas had kind of seen um, a little bit of a flare in the late 90s, but it kind of fizzled out um, somewhat. Um, we saw Cellus open up in Austin, which was a massive $2 million brewery that they opened in the late 90s. And it was a fantastic thing, um, but it was just a little ahead of its time, perhaps. And so we saw several people kind of try to, to jump on board craft beer, um, and it wasn't quite ready at the time. And, and by the time I luckily stumbled upon it, um, it was um, kind of a train that was just starting to get rolling. And, and it's still rolling today, um, 20 years later. It's really cool. Yep. Yeah, in the, in the time of the 90s, we had several brew pubs around Houston. And they, they were good. I mean, granted, yep. they all had... Yeah, you had your amber, your pale, your stout. At best. Yeah. yeah. Houston, all Houston, homebrew off-the-shelf styles. Mm -hmm. Houston Brewing Company was a Houston, fan, yes. amazing restaurant. It was. It was a beautiful brewery. place, too. It was. Two rows. And, and they were ahead of their time. Um, and, if, and if two rows can't make it, no one can. Right. Because they were a, a really proven nationwide model. Um, so it was it was just a tough time for Texas um, and craft beer still. It was um, interesting because uh, you know, we had this new renaissance over the last – decade of all the craft breweries popping up all over texas all over all over the world honestly mm -hmm. and 
you know, it's just kind of Texas is still Houston, especially is still lagging on the amount of people that are actually looking for craft beer. You know, they're still happy to drink their the big, you know, whatever's the, the Bud Lights and the Miller Lights and uh, whatever they get told to drink. Right. Yep. Instead of just going out and adventuring and trying trying a new brewery that's probably right in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And a lot have been making the jump, I think, especially in Houston going into whiskeys you see a lot of like the groups on facebook the especially, like the houston bourbon society is all former people in exactly houston, yes. like, stock craft beer and houston like craft beer society well i mean we all, all we all grow up a little bit refine yeah. our palate a little mature, bit more I mature like some yeah. as we get a little older we drink a little less beer and a little more whiskey uh, i think that's true of most folks uh, we're never going to forget our, our 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 awesome beer but uh as we get a little older it's it's uh just kind of that transition that often happens. And I think it's not just uh, on an individual level. We're seeing that, um, you know, more on industry trends as well. Um, so. Well, no mention of uh, seltzers, though. They have no place on this show. Yeah. <laughs> per- period. <laughs> I, yeah, those are, those are interesting. I still have yet to really drink one. The only, only seltzer that I've had that I actually liked was it was more like a smoothie than a seltzer it was real wow. fruit and yeah. it's like sel- that's not a seltzer yeah and it's it's it was like man this actually is pretty good it'd be better with a shot of rum in it but yeah. uh it is not bad well if you're at a bar and you like a seltzer just order a chilton you know i think that's what you're really looking for yeah yeah it's it's a uh, vodka cocktail with lemon and sparkling water with a salted rum it was invented in lubbock of all places and it really has gained a lot of popularity in recent years with the popularity of the seltzer mm-hmm. um, because it's there's, there's zero sugar. Um, there, but there is a massive amount of lemon juice in this thing. Yeah. I mean, the recipes I see call for like two lemons. Oh, wow. And with an with like an ounce and a half of vodka. Well, sounds like a I mean, it's, it's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I tried one and that was plenty and very sour. I'd but the idea is up. that it's dry. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't want sugar. And uh, I was... Uh, uh, lucky enough to meet a woman that met that invented the ranch water, which is kind of the tequila uh, um, lime version of Those the Chilton. Those are huge right now. Yeah, yeah, very similar cocktail. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not the seltzer because you see a lot of seltzers out there called ranch water. They're not nearly as good, or really that good at all, anyways. Mm-hmm. But a good ranch water with tequila, <laughs> some topo chico, squeeze of lime. Mm. Yeah. It is all right. Supposedly, there was a couple dusty ranchers that uh, came in off the off the range into a bar in Marfa back in the 80s, and they were looking for something quenching but not sweet. And um, yeah, Yvette was the was the bartender there at the time, and she uh, put together a tequila cocktail for them that just had lime and a little topped with a little topo chico, and the rest is history. It's amazing that it took that long to really take off. Because right? yeah. the first time Here I ever heard it was 25 about, years later. Yeah, yeah it was like, yeah, like yeah. two or three years ago. Uh, I guess about three years ago, we were sitting at, at um, Onion Creek. And somebody is, uh, we're doing the show and hanging out. And the guy's like, I'm going to get you guys some ranch water. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that sounds water? gross. <laughs> yeah. like, like, yeah, what, yeah. what are we about to get ourselves into? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is actually pretty good. And then you get your Bobby Hugels all talking about it in Houston, too. And now it's such a... Big thing, like yeah. One of the most popular drinks, I think, right now. Especially with the kind of keto kind of seltzer craze, it fits mm-hmm. in really well with what people are already looking for. Um, yeah, I think like, like you were talking about, just just liquor in general is liquor. I hardly know her. Oh, y- you do now. Uh, 
Wait, what were we talking about? You're gonna edit that out. Yeah, yeah. Luger, you know, it's one of those where, like, I've, I've tried to really enjoy scotch. I just have a hard time enjoying scotch. Yeah, uh, see no, what that's we can something do that I, I love this discussion too because um, scotch is a really polarizing animal, isn't it? Yeah. it? It is. Yeah, yeah. And, and I tried really hard. Right, I had a boss, a good friend of mine, and and he's like, he was a big scotch drinker. He was, John, you need to start drinking scotch. I was like, well, let's do it, man. Let's start a training, and I, I did for for months. And finally, I'm like, you know what? I just don't think I really like scotch that much. Even though everything when you explain it to me, I'm like, oh, I'm going to love it. Yep. We'll see what we can do tonight, I think. We're <laughs> our way up to something. Well, and, you know, it's, in my mind, you know, there's there's two real big components when you're talking about scotch. And, and it's either smoke, uh, i.e. peat, uh, and malt. And, um, and, and maybe it's one of those that you don't like, but perhaps not both. Uh, so maybe we'll find a malt that's not peaty or... Uh, you know, maybe a peat that you might like. So, yeah, because uh, I mean, smoky beers. I do like smoky beers. Smoky meats can't go wrong with a good smoky meat. Oh, okay, uh, well, we got you then. So I enjoy cigars on occasions. Like yesterday at the golf tournament, that <laughs> was. Did you get some Cabal cigars. Uh, yep, sure did. They were really good, but um, yeah, it's it's. I'm sure. I mean, actually, what's the? Uh, I'm drawing a blank now. Across from uh, House of Blues. Uh, Reserve. Reserve 101. 101, right? So same situation. They're like, all right, we're going to find you a scotch that you like. And they did find scotches that I really, really enjoyed. Nice. But it was after a show, so I can't really tell you what what they were. But I remember they were they were pretty good. So they, 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 they are out there. Yeah. I'm just not. We'll work uh, our way up. Yeah. I guess that's as good as time as any to try Let's get maybe rolling. our first uh, whiskey of the night. Have our uh, Andalusia Whiskey Company triple distilled. This is our Irish kind of uh, style of whiskey. Um, first couple whiskeys you're going to try that we really try to honor tradition, um, and so this one really honors Irish tradition. It's a single malt whiskey that is triple distilled, and so our pot still. Um, has no column or anything like that. It's just a very basic copper pot still. And so it's designed to make really full flavored spirits. This is the kind of still that you'd um, use if you're trying to make whiskeys, rums, brandies, really full flavored spirits. It's not the kind of still you'd want to use if you're looking to make uh, vodka or gin or anything like that. Um, and so each unique distillation really affects the spirit. You know, as we continue to do distillations let's say we we put the um our wash in we'll do one distillation we'll do another distillation every time we do these distillations the spirit that comes off is a little bit cleaner a little bit neater a little bit smoother a little bit easier to handle if we were to continue to do distillations 20 times finally at that point we would have vodka that would be a very inefficient process uh of arriving at that and so just to kind of explain kind of how that process works. Um, so we stop around two or three while we still have some flavor in the spirit. Um, two distillations in a pot still is very common in the Scotch world. And three distillations is very common in the Irish world. 
That's the big difference, uh, one of the big differences between Irish whiskey and Scotch whiskey. Now, let me be clear, Irish whiskey has to come from Ireland, Scotch whiskey has to come from Scotland. So uh, our products are made um, in the vein um, and in the spirit, um, no pun intended, of, of those products. Um, so the first two you're going to try tonight, um, uh, we're really trying to stick with tradition, not reinvent the wheel and really honor um, what they've been doing for I mean, hundreds any, of years. Is there any difference in ingredients or even process, right, between Scotch whiskey and Irish whiskey? Yeah. Right? I mean, and then um, then you have your whiskeys and bourbons and stuff all over the place, right? So what, what yep. makes that particularly unique for an Irish whiskey? Yeah, so the, so a couple difference between Irish whiskeys and Scotch whiskeys. Um, one that I've mentioned is the number of distillations. Um, but another important uh, difference is the, is the grain bill or the mash bill. This is basically just the recipe of grains that you're going to be using for your whiskey. Um, scotch is typically single malt, and so that just means that you're using malted barley and that's it this is barley that has been undergone a malting process that's essentially steeping the raw grain growing a short a small little plant um, the grain will um, have a green little rootlet that will grow from it maybe a couple centimeters long you'll then dry the grain back out and stop that process so what you're doing when you force that little uh, grain to germinate is you're you're tricking it to thinking it's going to grow into a plant. Um, it, it quickly tries to convert all of its starch inside of the grain into sugar because sugar is what it's feeding the rootlet, um, and and so it's kind of a brewer's and distiller's trick to um, have nature convert that starchy grain into a sugary substance because kind of sugar is what you need. Um, to to um, do a fermentation and create alcohol. So the scotch is all about malted barley only. The Irish, on the other hand, um, will blend in some unmalted grain. And when I mean unmalted, that just means barley from the field, barley that's been harvested, dried, and it's ready to go. And, and so they'll use unmalted barley as well. Um, it's going to do a couple different things. Um, the, main, the major issue is it's going to create different flavors. Uh, you know, malt um, tastes malty yeah that's the name and that's sometimes it's kind of a tough thing for for people to grasp what is malty that it's 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 tough um you know um there are some foods that are predominantly made with malted barley and uh, one of them is grape nut cereal so that flavor another one is whoppers like the candy whoppers and so there's tons of malted barley in those. And so if you can imagine kind of some of the underlying flavors in those, that's really, really where the malt comes from. Um, so Scots are using mostly malt. Irish uh, whiskeys are using um, often kind of a blend and maybe even some other grains that aren't barley. Um, they might be mixing in a little bit of corn or, 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 or rice or wheat or whatever's available really seasonally um, to kind of... Um, I shouldn't say thin, but to kind of smooth the whiskey out a little bit. Hmm. I know. I, I just learned a lot of that. Yeah. That, was, that, was a, that was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know there was going to be an educational yeah. show, yeah, but I'm glad it is. Yeah. yeah, let's uh, definitely drink to that. But let's, cool. take a, let's take a break, and when we get back, we'll talk more with Andalusia Whiskey Company. This is Drink of Ages Radio here on ESPN 97.5. We'll be right back. Weekends are a great time to check out Megaton Brewing in Kingwood. 
Jared, Chris, and the gang have created a badass place to kick back and enjoy a few beers. Big stouts, approachable sours, and plenty of hoppy brews are on tap at Megaton. Lots of space to hold your birthday party, corporate outing, or any event in one of the most unique tap rooms in the Houston area. Check them out on social media for their concert and event schedule. Megaton Brewery. Hope to see everyone at the vault. You may have noticed there have been quite a few changes at No Label, and they are steadily pumping out tasty brews. With their new head brewer trailer bringing in his West Coast brewing skills, taps have been flowing with lots of hoppy deliciousness like Cali Boy West Coast IPA. I'm real excited about what they're doing on the West Side. Top room is open seven days a week, very family and dog friendly. Make the short trip to Katie and see what is happening at No Label. Follow them on social media for events and beer releases. No Label Brewing Company. Key Tea Wellness, our friends down in Dickinson, is where you need to go if you're feeling sluggish, non-energetic, and non-motivated. Not just when you're hungover. Get to know your numbers. As we get a little older, our hormone levels change, men and women. Key Tea Wellness can help. Weight loss, hormone optimization, low testosterone, B12, Botox, and more. Stop in and tell them that you heard it on Drink of Ages and get a free B12 shot. KeyTWellness.com. Why not feel your best again? KeyTWellness.com. The most fun and good times beer fest is back. Happening November 11th through the 13th at Katie Mills Mall featuring multiple stages of live music, food trucks, multiple party zones, and of course, lots of beers to try. Over 600 if we are counting. VIP is where you want to be, but general admission is still a great time. Get your tickets today for Wild West Brewfest November 11th by going to wildwestbrewfest.com, one of the premier brewfests in the country, wildwestbrewfest.com. We are back. This is Drink of Ages Radio Show here on ESPN 97.5. I'm John Denman. Our guest this week from Andalusia Whiskey Company is Ty Phelps and Mario Sebastian Berry. We, if you were joining us this last segment, we learned a lot. A lot about Irish whiskey and Scotch whiskeys. So, what are we going to sample next? Next in line is our Revenant Oak, which is our peated single malt whiskey, which I will also let uh, Ty go into some detail on but we'll see if we can make a believer uh on the scotch style whiskeys of you uh yet all right john this is a light to moderate peat level so it's not going to be real big it's it's almost imperceivable on the nose um but kind of light to moderate um on the palate um we uh peat our own barley which is pretty rare there are a number of peated single malts made in the u.s but we're one of the very few that actually peat our own malt. So that just means we smoke our malt with burning peat. So, um, peat you know, we'll, wood smoke. Yep, yep. Yep. So we'll import peat from Ireland and we, it comes in a box and, and bricks and it burns. It looks kind of like earth or dirt almost, but it comes in these bricks um, and you'll burn it and smoke your grain. And so we do that ourselves because we want to have full control of the process we want to be able to try different types of peat. We want to try different amounts of peat. Um, so this one is a light to moderate peat level um, on the Revenant Oak, but there's also a lot of other fun stuff going on. Um, you know, I get a lot of um, creme brulee and marscapone and um, divinity and, and, and cool um, kind of vanilla sweets um, that kind of help balance um, the smokiness of the peat out a little bit. There's, this isn't the smokiest of the no, scotches that I've had. Not at all. Yeah, it is very minimal. Yep. 
And we like to say it's our gateway peated whiskey. Um, we want to kind of introduce folks um, carefully and, and ease, ease them in. Especially with, I think, the Texas whiskey drinkers aren't as ready for or apt uh, on Scotch-style whiskeys. So many uh, bourbon drinkers, too. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think it's great. It makes a perfect highball. Uh, I get a lot of feedback uh, for fan, from fans of Japanese single malts uh, that say yep. it's almost akin uh, to that sort of style as well, which has opened a lot of doors for it, I think. That's a whole market that has exploded. Maybe I'm just kind of new to whiskey and all that, but all the Japanese whiskeys. Yep. And and their big thing is is just honoring the Scotch tradition, it seems. You know, they're not looking to do anything super creative, um, which is fine. It's, it's, it's fantastic to, to sort of honor um, that tradition. Um, I, I, I love Japanese whiskeys, and, you know, I, I think one of the, the big um, kind of eye-openers for me to, was, was to realize that, that a lot of them are just scotch, um, kind of repackaged. And so if you are looking to get into Japanese whiskey, um, make sure it's Japanese and, and, and not scotch, essentially. Scotch so. repackaged? Yeah. You can get any of that Japanese oak on there, too. Yes. Big fan of that stuff. Yep. Well, that's, that's another thing that you see a lot in liquor stores. You see a lot of whiskey that's labeled with a big Texas on it, and it's made in Canada. Yep. Or Kentucky yeah. or Indiana. Or Kentucky or somewhere or, else. And we're very proud. Uh, you can see on our bottles labeled, we have the silver badge underneath our labels, certified Texas whiskey also. Everything's produced, mashed, distilled, and bottled on site. Uh, so no grain-neutral spirits, anything like that. So something else we're very proud of. Yep, we've made uh, every every drop of Andalusia whiskey from day one, um, and never never sourced anything. And again, nothing wrong with sourcing whiskey. There's a rich tradition of sourcing whiskey in America. Um, you know, I, I just feel that with the popularity of craft spirits right now, um, you, you do see some folks kind of jumping in, um, trying to put together what looks like a craft distillery um, when they're just dumping Kentucky bourbon barrels and slapping a Texas label on it. Um, and that's kind of what, what I have the problem with. And that's why we were founding members of the Texas Whiskey Association and the Texas Whiskey Trail. And our big goal there is, is to not really promote one thing or another, but just to kind of have people be transparent about what they're selling. Um, you know, if you're dumping out K- K- Kentucky bourbon, just say so. It's fine. You know, and then tell a story around that. Tell, tell how you chose the barrels or something. I don't know. You know, I mean, there's still a good story behind that. It, you know, it doesn't have to be something you're ashamed of. Or trying to hide. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, just, just yeah, uh, okay. Course. You started a business doing this, so you know yep. you, you got to be proud of something. And if you're not proud of uh, you know, having that name Kentucky or something like that on there, then then do something different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, tequila the same way though. Uh, like mm-hmm. I've met people that have tequila companies in Houston. And it's like, wait, wait, how, how does that work? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you're doing what? <laughs> but you yet, know. people buy it like crazy because it's a pretty good looking bottle. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a whole. We could do a whole segment on all the agave spirits too. Yeah, yeah, agave spirits, uh, tequila, Texas, Texas wine. Well, that's, that's yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, Texas wine, the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. there's, there's like, oh yeah, we make wine in Houston, Texas. I was like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> you know, you know, the if if you're really and it's tough for the consumer um, because unless you get on their website or unless you you know talk to your whiskey nerd friend or something, it's hard to know. 
whether or not it's really made in Texas. So really, what I like to tell people is flip the bottle over, look at the back. There's legal statements that have to be on the bottle. Um, if it says bottled by or produced by, those are those are admirable things, but they are not made by. Um, it will say distilled by. It's the D word that you got to look for. So when it says distilled by, um, that means you knew you you know that that producer actually made it from a raw ingredient in house. And again, nothing wrong if you don't. Um, but um, we just like to be honest, and, and you know, if, if somebody wants to support a local company, you want to make sure it's actually being made locally. Correct. And if it's not, then you're going to be a little upset that you've maybe paid a little extra money for that local product that turns out not to be local. Yeah. I would be at least. It goes back to the Templeton Rye got into a lot of trouble uh, maybe five, six, seven, eight years ago by claiming that they have a family recipe for their rye whiskey, and it turns out they were just sourcing all their rye whiskey from whatever. Um, you they know, they made a the beautiful label was. and a great story. And, and somebody filed a class action lawsuit against them and won. And I got a check. I got a check for like 60 bucks in the mail. Yeah. Because I'd bought a couple bottles of Templeton Rye and also had bought a few cocktails at bars and was able to... And they just tracked me down due to credit card receipts. And and I think it was... Uh, it was it was a little bit of a, uh, a shot across the bow to producers. I hope it was, and I think it was at the time that um, you just can't be—you can't just be telling any kind of bullshit you want on your label and then trying to sell a product um, without somebody caring a little bit about it. Right, and it's unfortunate though is that a majority they don't care. They don't care, and, and that has been frustrating. Yes, <laughs> because it's like, all right, you're—you're—you're yep. you're, you're, you're not being—you know—you're not being dishonest, but you're not really truly being honest, and right. yet. You know, you're selling a billion dollars worth of it a year. And Whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's like okay, fine, but we're gonna we're gonna be honest, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna actually do it here. I mean, when you started, I mean, you can't just make whiskey and have it ready in three months. I mean, yep. it, it, it takes time. Yep. And so this is why people source whiskey because starting a grain to glass distillery from the ground up is very hard. You know, I like to tell people it's like you know, go start a brewery. Deliver beer all across town, but don't cash anybody's checks for three or four years. Yeah, that's kind of what we did. Or um, start know, a brewery and do nothing but a barrel age program, and don't sell anything. First, yeah. And don't sell anything don't for sell like anything the first year or so. And so you're just spending, you know, all the money that breweries spend on barley every year, plus all this barrel cost, and and really there's no source of revenue. So kind of what we did is instead of sourcing or doing gin or vodka, we just went big on tasting room. And so um, if you visit Andalusia um, Whiskey Company out in Blanco, you'll quickly find that it is a beautiful tasting room. You know, we put three quarters of the building that we built towards tasting room and only one quarter towards whiskey production. So we're, we're just crammed into a corner over there making whiskey. But, we, you know, we gave our customers a lot of room to spread out. And it's, uh, you know, beautiful reclaimed wood and leather furniture. We've got a library in the back where you can grab an old fashioned and go back and get a, check out a book from the library and, and uh, you know, look at the lambs out in the pasture. And so, you know, we knew we weren't going to have that age spirit for a while. So we started with some white whiskey cocktails. You know, this is just unaged whiskey. Um, and so that, you know, you can make a lot of, you know, fun um, rum and vodka cocktails, mules and Bloody Marys and things like that. And then to kind of jumpstart the barrel program, we used some 25-gallon barrels early on. Um, the smaller the barrel, the faster the product. Um, but you can definitely run into some trouble if you try to use some really small barrels. Um, trying to balance 
um, the the maturation of a five gallon barrel is very difficult. Um, but we did find that some of the 25 gallon barrels, which are half size of the standard 53, um, kind of got the project jump started, and then we were able to transition to 53s very quickly. And so we've used full size barrels for the last um, probably four and a half years. Yeah, and we start trying to do like 10 gallon batches and having to sample constantly yep. after a few months and make sure that because yep. it can go over. And then you, and then you, you know, you, you, unless you taste it daily, you're gonna miss that window where it went from awesome to overaged or overoaked. And then what? What um, would happen? Would you try to start blending some? Gosh, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the if you can get away with it, you can blend it out. Um, but you know, it doesn't it doesn't take much bad whiskey to ruin a giant batch of good whiskey. So <laughs> you got to be careful with that <laughs> that plan. Yeah, especially you know something that that you've been sitting on for months and waiting for this to happen because in, like in years, said, four, yeah, four or five years, years and then years. you're gonna and you're gonna ruin it by trying to to get rid of uh, a little five gallon here or there. So yeah, we don't we don't mess around with that at all. <laughs> I don't blame you. Well, I will say this about that scotch that was very easy drinking. Awesome. All right. Okay. Good deal. I'll take it. Well, no. the next product we're gonna have you try is our striker. Um, we lovingly call it Texas Scotch. Um, it's going to be smoky also, but in a very different way. Um, scotch is smoky because the grain has been smoked with burning peat. Um, striker is smoky because the grain has been smoked with hardwoods. So oak, mesquite, applewood, these are very intentionally layered. Texas hardwoods. In, in proportion, yes. So the majority is oak. We do about 50% oak, um, probably about 30, because that's kind of the traditional, you know, Texas brisket wood. Um, I, uh, I was about to just mention that it almost tastes like a brisket. It's yep. got that smokiness <laughs> yep. of Pairs, a good brisket. Yeah, immaculately as well. We if do only about we had brisket. It <laughs> <laughs> would have been a great pairing. Fifty percent uh, oak, thirty percent apple, and about twenty percent mesquite. Mesquite okay. is delicious, but it's sharp and oak powerful, tips. so you got to be careful with it. Mm. Um, and we find that that intentional layering of woods really. Hope gives you the oak is the body, the apple is the flavor, and the mesquite is the accent. Um, and so we learned a lot about layering woods from Corsair as a distillery in Kentucky that's doing a lot of really cool craft stuff. They made 300 different whiskeys in one year. Oh, I mean, smokes. that's a different whiskey every day. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And that's what they did. You know, <laughs> And so um, smoking, um, you know, um, apple, um, lemon wood, um, any kind of wood you can imagine they've, they've smoked grain with. And, and not only have they done it, but they've um, really openly um, imp- you know, given all this information out to the industry. Um, so it would be like if Sierra Nevada had had published all their recipes for their beer 35 years ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, it would have been such a boom for craft beer. And obviously, it's you can't expect people to do stuff like that. But this is what Corsair did. And uh, and so we've learned a lot about smoking um, from them. Um, also, Balcones in Waco and Ranger Creek in San Antonio are mm-hmm. sort of our whiskey mentors. All right, let's take a quick break. And we get back, we'll discuss this striker. Cool. This is Drink of Ages Radio Show. We'll be right back. Get 
Hey sports fans, Sean from Platypus Brewing, located right here in Houston. We're very crafty here at Platypus Brewing, not your average brewery, but offering something for everyone and inviting you to join me for a few brews, some tasty grub, and very excited to announce our new liquor and craft cocktails with a full bar. Happy hour Tuesday to Friday, sports on the tellies, large covered patio, both family and dog friendly. 1902 Washington Avenue, just a stone's throw from downtown. Platypus Brewing, brewed with Texan heart and Australian soul. Platypus Brewing. Hey, good beer drinkers. This is John Denman from Drink of Ages Radio inviting you out to Spindle Tap Brewery. Less than 15 minutes north of downtown, Spindle Tap is making some of the best beers around. IPAs, double IPAs, lagers and stouts. Definitely going to find your next favorite beer. Come out and be ready to play, though. Nine-hole championship putt-putt, basketball court, baseball and kickball field, disc golf, or just kick back in the air-conditioned tap room. Great food, excellent beers, and a badass time. Check out Spindle Tap Brewery. Spindle Tap, that's T-A-P, SpindleTap.com. It's time to get on the highway to Hemp Vodka. Highway Vodka, Texas's first hemp-based vodka and black-owned distillery, is already on the highway to Houston's best vodka. Trust me, I make it. I'm Cody Fuller, the lead distiller of Highway Vodka. Our award-winning vodka is made out of three simple ingredients, hemp, corn, and water. We distill it six times, keeping only the hearts of the run, meaning no hangovers. You can find Highway in all the major liquor stores. Get on the highway and find out more info at highwayvodka.com. We are back. Oh, I am recording. Never mind. We are back. This is Drink of Ages Radio Show here on ESPN ISM5. I'm John Denman. Andalusia Whiskey Company out of Blanco, Texas is joining us. Ty Phelps, Mario Sebastian Berry. And we've gone through, I guess, three now. But let's jump back to this last one real quick. Striker. Single, single malt. Smoked Strikers, single malt. Yeah, our flagship, our smoked single malt uh, as well. We'd like to say that if Scotch had been born in Texas uh, 400 years ago instead of Scotland, this is what it would have been. Um, because, you know, we don't really know much about peat here. Um, you know, our we have a rich tradition of smoking meats with hardwoods. So our smoke is going to be this kind of smoke versus the peat smoke that you find in scotch. You know, growing up in Texas, you don't run into peat very often unless you're drinking scotch. You know, right. you're, you're not really finding peat smoked meats or, or cheeses or anything like that. Um, you know, they do have those in Scotland and Ireland, um, but not something we see often here. And so we wanted to, you know, make... Uh, uh, you know, a uh, kind of a Texas version of scotch, you know, is kind of a, a tradition of craft brewers for a long time to bring classic styles of beer home and make them our own. And so and that's kind of what we're trying to do here, where we're bringing scotch back to Texas and um, and we're making it our own. So not only is it the hardwood smoke, but also it is a brand new, unused, um, charred American oak barrel. Um, so this is... Um, what bourbon um, is aged in. So you're going to get some bourbon notes um, up front, um, especially, you know, you're going to get the oak, the vanilla, the cinnamon, the baking spices that come with um, the the new oak. Um, but then the, the smoke and the malt um, will start to slip in and kind of take over. So uh, it's, it's Americanized even more um, by the type of barrel that we use. And... The difference between uh, a charred barrel and uh, the other, like a brand new barrel, yep. uh, the charred barrel, you know, they actually burn the inside of, so you're getting all the flavors from that burnt wood, yep. whereas the... A used barrel. And so basically 
um, they're all charred to begin with, and bourbon has to use that brand new barrel, and they're not allowed to use it ever again. Okay. They have to sell it, and they sell it to Home yeah. Depot. They make planters out of it. They ship them to Scotland. They a lot Scotch, of breweries use them. Mm-hmm. Ship them to Mexico, and they eat tequila. So there's really, a, you know, imagine all the barrels that Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, and all the Kentucky and, and Tennessee whiskeys are, are made from. Um, and so there's, there's quite a market for them. Um, and... Um, so the the main difference is how many times it's been used. So this barrel has been charred on the inside. The wood sugars have been caramelized. And once you fill it with a solvent like alcohol, it starts to gobble up all those those tasty things. Um, as you can imagine, um, once it gobbles up all the things from the barrel, there's not as much left in that barrel. So if you try to use that same barrel again, you can. You'll get a great product. It's just not going to be as dark. Um, and you're not going to get the oak and vanilla flavors that you typically expect to get from a bourbon, for example. And that's why bourbon is classically darker than scotch. When you go down the bourbon aisle, you're going to find some really dark products, really dark copper products. When you go down the scotch aisle, you might find some products that look like Coors Light. They're so light. And that's just because they're using barrels that are probably ex-bourbon barrels. The bourbon makers have have taken a lot of the uh, caramelized wood sugars and a lot of the flavors and colors from the barrel. The barrel still has use and still has life. And so um, Scots and Irish uh, producers have have found that that is sort of um, the kind of barrel character that they want for their products. Um, so that's really the main difference is not so much in what the barrel ever was, but how many times it's been used. How many times it's been used. Yep. Yeah, it makes sense. I know we, we get barrels from distilleries at the brewery over at Tap, and a lot of times there's still a little bit left in it, and it's like, put Ooh, the beer right on top. <laughs> oh, man, now you got to dump that out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's for the, a little bit for that's us. That's for the seller yeah. guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. maybe uh, some Andalusia barrel-aged spindle tap. Uh, I think this would be a great idea. Bam. We barrel aged some coffee beans in, in the Balcones uh, barrels mm-hmm. and made a, a light roast out of those. And it, it's, it is a different coffee, but it's really, really good. Cool. So, Call it roast and toast. Be a good roast one. and toast. Oh, yeah. He's on it. Yes. Yeah, already on it. But it's an incredibly uh, food friendly, versatile uh, whiskey and uh, beautiful by itself. But. I've had a lot of really good luck just pairing it with all kinds of foods. Obviously, you have like smoked foods uh, and then grilled stuff coming off the grill and anything of that mylar chemistry uh, going off, but any kind of spicy foods, too. We even paired it uh, really well uh, with like Indo-Pak food and very spicy curries. It really just takes the edge off kind of everything and almost just finishes very caramelly sweet and malty. just makes a beautiful, joyous kind of experience uh, going on in your mouth. I'm just getting hungrier, man. <laughs> <laughs> all the... Uh, let's move on to the next one. We still right, we have a it. few more yeah, to a couple go. More. So next we're going to do um, Bottle and Bond. Um, we are very proud to have released the first ever Bottle and Bond whiskey made in Texas. And Bottle and Bond is a law that was actually passed by the federal government in the late 1800s. This is an old law. And things were happening in the whiskey industry that were kind of concerning everyone in that whiskey was um, being adultered with all kinds of things, um, water, uh, vodka, you name it, um, just, you know, just trying to cheapen it. Um, and so the federal government passed the Bottle and Bond Act. I believe it was 1897, somewhere in that, in that kind of area. Um, but what the goal was to, to kind of set standards and preserve quality was really the goal. And so there's several um, things that a bottle and bond whiskey um, today, to this day, must meet. It has to be four years old. 
It has to be made in-house at one distillery by one distiller in one season. It has to be 100 proof. No more, no less. It can be any kind of spirit. It can be, you know, traditionally this is a bourbon thing. It's an American law, so you don't really see it in Scotland. You don't see it with scotch very often. And so typically, historically, it's mostly bourbons. Um, but now with craft spirits, you know, coming about, you're seeing a lot of folks, um, you know, theoretically, you can do a bottle and bond aged gin, for yeah. example. Um, no one's stopping you. Um, and so um, we're really proud to have produced the first one in Texas. We're not necessarily the first distiller that could have done it. We're just the first one that did it. And uh, so... Um, we're really proud of this product. Um, it is a not a non-smoked whiskey. Um, we um, we for a lot of our whiskeys, we kind of take a brewer's approach to the grain bill, and that we use specialty malts. These are uh, grains that have been kilned or roasted, um, and so this is how beer gets a lot of its color and flavor. Um, for example, a Guinness is like 10% roasted malt. They'll take the barley and roast it just like coffee. Um, and just by doing that, you'll get this really dark, rich, roasty beer. Um, so we do that with our whiskeys. We use um, um, Vienna malts, uh, Munich malts, um, crystal malts, and chocolate malts in our, in our whiskeys. Which now, like the first three are actually lighter malts. Yeah, and they're all about flavor. Flavor. And really, and to be honest, um, there's no color really involved in any of these because once you distill um, a beer, it's clear at that point. And so really, it's just all about those flavors. Um, so when we're using Vienna and Munich malts, we're kind, we're trying to augment those really basic, boring American malts into something a little more interesting, like a Maris Otter, a Golden Promise, or like those British and Scottish malts that they're using to make whiskeys out of. Um, but then the roasted malts and the, and the kiln malts really provide a lot of fun flavors. So one of the big flavors that um, we get from... Um, the bottle and bond is real chocolate flavors because we're using a ton of chocolate malt in this. Um, this is probably 10% chocolate malt, I believe, somewhere, you know, high, you know, 8 to 10 um, in the mash bill. So up front, you get all the fun vanilla and, and oak. But as you exhale and as you breathe out and as you're done, you're going to have chocolate in your mouth for the next 15 minutes. Um, it's nothing very but, true. but Tootsie Rolls and... Um, and kind of that sweet caramel chocolate that's just, that's so much fun. And that's all from the chocolate malt. All yeah, this, this is really good. Yeah, that makes me kind of giggle afterwards, uh, after tasting it a little bit. Um, by law, <laughs> this whiskey has to be four years old. And this is actually what you're drinking tonight is five. So this is the oldest whiskey that we have in Andalusia is uh, five years old. So the, I mean, back to the law, you know, it's 130, 120 some odd years old. Yep. And so this is why you guys are the first one to actually do this in Texas. So why, I mean, is it just something you guys just came across this law and was like, hey, you know what, we'll follow these guidelines and do it? Or Well, you know, our whiskeys are, have always been 100 proof. That's just something that we've done from day one. So um, we were meeting all the other qualifications besides the four year until we became four year. And so... You know, once we had a product that was four years old, it's like, shit, well, we've got everything it takes to become Bottle and Bond. This is a no-brainer at this point. Um, there has been another Bottle and Bond. I know Firestone, uh, Robert's out of uh, Fort Worth. The guys doing TX have released a Bottle and Bond bourbon that's an, a fantastic product as well. Um, and there's been other distilleries like Balcones and Lone Elm that have probably could have done. Uh, ball and bond, but uh, we but we snuck in there. <laughs> and, I mean, uh, and, and got it, it done. Looks, again, about labels, it looks really good on the label. Yeah, 
too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and for the consumer that just knows what Ball and Bond is, but they don't know about your product, um, it, it gives them confidence that it's just, you know, it's not just some, you know, six month old source crap from somewhere. Um, it's something that somebody cared about and spent some time on and spent years with. And um, it's really and, good. And, and then, and then as a consumer, I like to reward people that companies and people that do stuff like that if it's good mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, obviously yeah, if, if they deserve it uh, yes then absolutely. Then at that point then yeah reward them yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just sitting here as like, like something as simple as a graham cracker would yes. be fantastic just oh my God. Yeah. Right? a little snack yep and uh this one started as a tasting room only but uh definitely something to perhaps keep your eyes uh, open for uh some very limited allocations uh coming forward if you follow we also have our instagram andalusia whiskey co or on facebook definitely uh look towards that you may see some coverage uh coming into the market as well on some limited bottles but this is one of our very special releases along with uh the subsequent ones we'll be tasting uh here in just a minute too Let, let's get to those let's do it uh paladuro is the next whiskey we're going to try it is made with 100 percent texas grown and texas malted barley um, this might seem like an obvious thing. Yeah, use Texas malt. Um, it just really doesn't exist, unfortunately, on a large scale. Um, so you can grow barley in Texas, but malting is the process I described a little bit earlier. And it's, you know, sprouting the grain, um, tricking it into growing a little plant. This process is, uh, requires huge amounts of space. Um, if we were to malt our own grain, we would need a facility four times as big as our own distillery to do this. And so... It's very rare that any brewery malts their own grain. Um, there's really also almost no Texas beer made from Texas malt. I know that's that's crushing to me. As it, it is. As, but it it's is. just the facts. Um, so if, if you want Texas malt, you have to grow it in Texas, ship it up to the major malting centers, the major beer brewing centers of America, Milwaukee, um, all the way across to Washington, and then ship it back. And double shipping agricultural products is not a thing it's it's just it's way that's where most of the cost and in, in agricultural products come from is is transporting them and um so so there is a little bit of texas malt so let me not shortchange the guys that are doing the guys and gals that are mm-hmm. making texas malt so there's three at least three maltsters in texas now um one in austin one in fort worth and one up in the panhandle and they are um on a, in a very uh, kind of craft boutique way, um, kind of taking Texas barley and making Texas malt. And that's what we're trying to do with Paladuro. We're, you know, I'm willing to pay a lot more money for Texas malt. I'm willing to pay 50% more, which is a lot. Um, but right now, Texas malt is in the 300% more price range. And so it's still kind of something that, um, um, you know, homebrewers, small batch. Um, but we really want this thing to, to, to be a reality. And so we're spending a lot of extra money on malt um, for the Paladuro to kind of help promote and grow these malt, small malts. Yeah, to help, help their industry grow. <clears throat> right. Yeah, because I know, you know, I, I can imagine every craft brewery in Texas would love to use Texas malt for all their beers. Definitely. Um, and one day we will. Um, but uh, and, until then, we've kind of got to grow these guys up and, 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 and get them to where they can get their prices down is, is kind of the major issue. The quality is there. Um, it's just, again, the price is three times um, malt that I ship from Washington State, yeah. uh, which is pretty far. Um, and uh, so it really doesn't make sense. Um, but um, really proud of Paladuro. Um, it is um, all Texas malt, like I mentioned, but then it's also been smoked with peach wood. 
So we've got a peach orchard right next to us, and we're thinking, how can we just get local as hell with this? And, you know, we got a peach orchard. It's, it's maybe a mile from us, not quite next door, but very close. And um, we're, we're thinking, okay, yeah, let's try some peach wood. And it's a real unique smoke character. It's not a, it's not a slap you in the face smoky whiskey to begin with. Um, but it's also not something where you got to sit there and really search for the smoke. It's there. Um, the smoke a, is definitely there, but it, it's not one that, that I mean, again, you know, me being someone that, that doesn't really enjoy a lot of big smoky uh, whiskeys, this one here, it's a subtlety, but it's there. Yep. Right? So, and it's not like a big sharp hits you in the back of the tongue. You know, just, just that smoke. I don't know, whatever that is, why it hits you there, I don't, I'm not sure, but this one just is a good little flavor. you got to be careful with smoke, man. I, I remember in craft beering days, the Rauch beer, Rauch beer is, you know, that's a fantastic beer, but there are some of those beers that are just too damn smoky. And I guess everyone has their own uh, range and their own... Their own level of yeah, smokiness. Yeah, of, of course. Uh, we but, do the, man, the super smoke. I, but I, I swear some of these are undrinkable. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and yeah. it's, it's tough. Yeah, and, and, and it's, again, it's the difference between tasting and drinking and buying... You know, I'll I'll taste and enjoy anything um, on small levels, um, but if you want to finish a pint or buy a six pack, you, you know it has to be something that uh, it's beyond one sip. You, you want some more of, <laughs> right? That's, yeah, that's the difference. Yep. Yeah, I've had people give me like Roush beers, and they're like, "Oh, this is really good," and I drink. I'm like, "Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure this is really good? Can I blend just... this ten to one with some Budweiser, maybe, <laughs> yeah, and then, we and then try it again?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But on the smoke end, we'll be having so much more smoked. Uh, I think even at we're actually in time for the Houston Whiskey Social uh, on Saturday as well. So that's where we'll be showing some of these uh, special small batch releases, like the Palo Duro and the Bottled and Bond. But we'll have uh, some other gems out there as well, including some, I think, some smokier ones. Yep. Uh, We've got some, um, you know, Revenant Oak is a uh, whiskey that is about 10% smoked malt. We've got 100% smoked malt version of it. Um, the um, uh, Striker is, again, 10% smoked malt. We've got a version that's 70% smoked malt. Wow. And so we've got all these kind of fun versions, along with some cask finishing you know, cask finishing is fun. Um, when you're a distiller and you like to come up with a new idea, everything you have is like four years out, and so it's pretty frustrating. So uh, cask finishing is a great way to kind of come up with a fun project that, that might only take six months to right. um, come up with fruition. You know, cask finishing is problematic. You know, uh, it's, it's a way to hide faults in whiskey. Um, I, I don't believe that's why we do it, uh, but we do it because we love those flavors that you get from, from sherry and from rum mm -hmm. and the other casks I mean, that, that you might I'm, use. I'm smelling the different smoked yep. malts, and, and honestly, it just makes me want beef jerky. <laughs> yep. So that grain has been smoked for 24 hours in shallow racks. We'll very lightly wet the grain because a sticky grain will grab and, and, and more smoke will stick to it. Throughout the smoking process, it dries back out to kind of how it was. And then uh, after 24 hours, we'll take it out and uh, make a whiskey out of it the next day. Yeah. So. Well, let's hit the let's get the, to the last right. one. Last but not least. I'll let you, you're on a roll here. The Houston Whiskey Social is a pretty phenomenal event. It yeah. is, man. There are, um, there are lots of good events. There's good whiskey events um, throughout, throughout the state. Um, I would say this is the premier spirits especially brown spirits event in the entire state. Keep your eyes peeled. Excellent, man. No, thank you guys. It's been a whole lot of fun. And, man, we got to wrap the show up.
So, uh, let's see. Now I got to get into the end of the show conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> No, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank everybody for listening. You can find any of the old shows sponsored by No Label Brewing Company by going to SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple, whatever the Apple stuff is. I mean, all over the place, all over the, the, the internets and some shady places. You can find some Drink of Ages radio show. Listen to some of the old episodes. And, man, look for us next week. We'll be here on ESPN 97.5, actually from Other Half Brewery in New York. So it's going to be a good time hanging out there. You all can cheer on Tom Painter, co-host, who didn't make it tonight for finishing the New York Marathon. And outside of that, man, everybody be safe. Have a great night, and we'll see you next week. All right, well done. Nice.